You're listening to ReachMD. This episode of Living Room, titled Imaging in the Diagnosis of Sjogren's Disease, is sponsored by Novartis U.S. Clinical Development and Medical Affairs. The host and speaker have been compensated for their time. This program is intended for healthcare professionals. Here's your host, Dr. Ethan Craig. Diagnosing Sjogren's disease can be challenging, and several obstacles have emerged in working to diagnose this disease. On today's episode, we'll dive into the role of imaging in the diagnosis of Sjogren's disease. This is ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Ethan Craig. Joining me to take a look at the role of imaging in diagnosis of Sjogren's is Dr. Sarah McCoy. Dr. McCoy is an associate professor of rheumatology at the University of Wisconsin. She also runs the Sjogren's Clinic at the University of Wisconsin and serves on the board of directors for the Sjogren's Foundation. Dr. McCoy, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's start with every rheumatologist's favorite imaging paradigm, the ultrasound. Can you talk about the role of salivary gland ultrasound in the diagnosis of Sjogren's disease? I use our ultrasound machine every clinic, and I love using it. So salivary gland ultrasound, especially the grayscale mode, is non-invasive, doesn't have radiation risk, and can be performed easily bedside in the outpatient setting. And a really great scoring system by OMRACT was published recently that uses a nice, user-friendly, semi-quantitative scale. And so we have the patient in, we do their salivary flow and their shermers, and then while they're lying down in the exam chair, we go ahead and get out the ultrasound. And you can get a quick estimate of how the gland is doing. And they use a three-tiered score. Grade zero is normal. Grade one is, mm, I'm not sure. There's some inhomogeneity without any clear hypoechoic or anechoic areas or a lot of hyperechogenic bands. And then grade two has moderate inhomogeneity with focal anechoic or hypoechoic areas. So I see this as like a less than 50%. And then grade three has severe inhomogeneity and diffuse hypoechoic areas. And that's more than 50%. And so the role for salivary gland ultrasound is growing and is changing and is something that's actively being researched. And one of the really neat recent studies said, okay, well, how can we use this clinically? Well, it turns out that it's possible that maybe this salivary gland ultrasound can replace some of the tests that we do in our office to help diagnose Sjogren's disease, like the ocular staining score, Schirmer's, or unstimulated salivary flow, without changing the performance of the overall ACRULAR diagnostic criteria. So that's really helpful, right? Because not everybody is going to be able to do the unstimulated salivary flow. And this provides a tool where maybe you can appropriately diagnose the patient which of course, you know, you don't have to achieve criteria to get a diagnosis, but it certainly is a good guidepost. But it turns out that the salivary gland ultrasound can't replace things like the salivary gland biopsy or anti-SSA antibody. So another study found the presence of anti-SSA antibodies in combination with a positive salivary gland ultrasound is highly predictive of classifying a patient. But more research really needs to be done for other roles for salivary gland ultrasound, like how to monitor response to treatment in Sjogren's disease. The other useful thing is to detect salivary gland lesions. So that is a really attractive use of salivary gland ultrasound. So you have a patient who has an enlarged gland, and you can go ahead and pop on the ultrasound and determine, oh, there's a lesion, it has X features, and now I can go ahead and have Y response. The problem with that is that we don't yet have like a nice clear atlas allowing us to distinguish clearly benign tumors like pleomorphic adenomas from malignant lesions. And they have this in thyroid, right? And it would be really nice if we could develop something like this in Sjogren's disease. 
At this point, when we see a lesion, that's usually when we reach for contrast-enhanced magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI. And there are also really neat things like contrast agents that you can introduce with ultrasound, so contrast-enhanced ultrasound with microbubbles, which has opened further possible perspectives to improve interpretation of parotid diseases, particularly to help us with that tricky question of differentiating between benign and malignant lesions. Other studies say that maybe you can use a multimodal approach with grayscale, elastography, and contrast all together to help sort out malignant versus benign lesions. But clearly, this is a growing and evolving field. You briefly shouted out there the MRI. What is the role of MRI in assessing these patients? MRI is a good tool that can be used in place of things like conventional silography. Unlike conventional silography, it's not an invasive procedure and it's not associated with radiation. And using heavily T2-weighted sequence, the MR silography visualizes the hyperintense saliva within the salivary gland ducts. And the advantage of this is it has higher reported sensitivity. It also might help distinguish benign salivary gland lesions from lymphomas. Another advantage of the MRI silography is I think it's more readily available at more institutions. So I know that we perform it much more frequently here than conventional silography. And so there's sort of an ease factor as well, in addition to the invasive nature and the radiation aspect as well. So I believe you mentioned this before, but just to be clear, in patients with ultrasound findings suggestive of Sjogren's disease, do you typically recommend a salivary gland biopsy to confirm a diagnosis? So as a standard, I recommend biopsy in all patients who are seronegative and encourage it in those who clearly have a diagnosis of Sjogren's, but for a prognostic purpose. You know, we don't really 100% understand the role of salivary gland ultrasound. I think it's a diagnostic tool to add to an armamentarium, or there may be situations where you can't perform a biopsy or get appropriate interpretation, and then, you know, you can use it to help. But I don't think it serves as a substitute for the salivary gland biopsy. Are there any other imaging techniques that you're commonly using in diagnosis of Sjogren's that we haven't mentioned? Another tool is PET. It's a potential tool to help us sort out salivary gland lymphoma in Sjogren's disease patients. And again, it's the same question of when you see a lesion, how do we tell if it's malignant or benign? And that's an ongoing issue. And then looking to the future, anything emerging that you're keeping in your eye on? Anything in the horizon that's of interest? The other thing I do want to mention is the utility of core needle biopsy. And so several institutions including yours as well, do a core needle biopsy in Sjogren's patients who have salivary gland enlargement and have concerning features on their salivary gland ultrasound. And so this sort of imaging tool allows us also to perform novel diagnostic methods. And again, this concern for salivary gland lymphoma really drives the use of ultrasound-guided core needle biopsy. And so that's another role of ultrasound that I think is really important to highlight. At the recent Sjogren's conference, it really was an emphasis of the presenters there that we should be performing these core needle biopsies more frequently, and they should be ultrasound guided. So that's something I came home from the conference and passed along to our radiologists right away. Thank you. With those forward-looking thoughts in mind, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sarah McCoy, for helping us address the use of imaging and the diagnosis of Sjogren's disease. Dr. McCoy, it was great speaking with you today. Thank you. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. This industry podcast was sponsored by Novartis U.S. Clinical Development and Medical Affairs. If you missed any part of this discussion or to find others in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash living room. This is ReachMD. 
be part of the knowledge.